Coming up on Garden Talk. The very top two leaves that come out and pull those off and allow that light to penetrate down, and they'll start to branch out by themselves without that stunt period of actually popping the top off. The second layer is for support. The first one is for yield. I want that canopy filled out. I don't want to be growing the floor. Literally, I'll make the top leaves of the canopy kiss the bottom of that net as soon as I bring them in. I want to say two, but I'll even give it three. Anything over a three-gallon pot starts to become wasteful in cocoa. Those are still valuable. I know they like to say cut from the top, but I haven't really seen any difference from taking clones from the top or the bottom. I'll defoliate and veg too. If I see that it's getting too thick and I want more branching, I'll defoliate and veg. But those little silver ones that you get out of the beauty section at like Walmart or something, I'm talking about just one little snip, they pop right through that net like it's nothing. What's up everybody, if you that don't know me, my name is Chris, AKA Mr. Groat, and you're tuned into the Garden Dog Podcast. This is episode number 34. In this episode, I interview Beast Coast Grower. He has been gardening for seven years, and he grows a variety of plants, such as berries, peaches, plums, apples, pears, medicinal herbs, and many different types of vegetables. In this episode, he talks a little bit about his growth style, and then gets into something that he does very often and very well, the scrub technique. And he gets into very specific detail on that topic. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast who help make that goal possible. A big supporter of this podcast is Dutch Pro. They sponsor this podcast and I use their nutrients. I have been using their base nutrients formulated specifically for RO and soft water. I also have been using some of their additives like CalMag, Silica, and their root stimulator called Take Root. They have a few other additives on top of those and pH regulators. Coupon code MrGrowIt10DP will get you a discount on their products. And I'll leave a link to their Amazon store down in the description section below. Spider Farmer. They sponsored this podcast and I use their LED grow lights. Spider Farmer now has a bar style series of LED grow lights. They have the SE3000, a four bar fixture for a three foot by three foot grow space. The SE5000, a six bar fixture for a four foot by four foot grow space. And the SE7000, a six bar fixture for a five foot by five foot grow space. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below. And you can use discount code MrGrowAt5 during checkout for discount on their products. AC Infinity is a sponsor of the podcast. Coupon code MrGrowIt will get you a discount on their products. I've been using their Cloudline T6 and T4 inline fans for several years now, and I absolutely love the automation built into them. On the inline fans controller, you can have set points for high and low temperature, as well as high and low humidity. This greatly helps control my indoor garden environment, so the temperature and humidity stays in the ideal ranges. I will leave a link to AC Infinity down in the description section below. And don't forget to use coupon code MrGrowIt for a discount on their products. All right, we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Beast Coast Grower. How are you doing today? I'm all right. How's everything? Doing great, man. Glad to have you on board on today's episode. We are going to get deep into the scrub technique and kind of using a trellis net plant training. We'll get into a little bit about you and your grow setup. I think it's going to be a really good episode today. I've had uh, quite a few people ask me about the scrub technique and I know that's something you do very, very well. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, me too. But before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of things, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening? Uh, yes, uh, Beast Coast Grower 420. The main reason that I got into gardening is because I'm vegan, been vegan for a while. So it kind of made me want to go into like growing my own foods, which got me into a lot of the the plant growing. And after that, a friend of mine winded up with cancer. And as he was recovering from the chemotherapy, I decided to start looking up different herbs and medicinal plants that would be good to help him in the recovery process of the cancer. And that's how I stumbled across a lot of the other plants that came along with it. But I've always been a nature person, always love growing plants, always like to tap in. I, I would probably be called the tree hugger. That's a, <laughs> I'd be one of those guys. I, I just Something about nature always called me. So that's what really pulled me into wanting to grow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my dad just had 
lung cancer, got diagnosed mm -hmm. with that, and he was going through radiation and chemotherapy, and he was, doesn't smoke. I mean, he tried it way back in the day. He's older now. He's elderly, mm -hmm. um, and I somewhat convinced him to do it. You know, I mentioned, you know, chemotherapy. One of the things is you get nauseous, sick after the fact. Now, I mentioned to him, I'm like, hey, that's one thing that cannabis helps you with is the nausea. It helps you go away. You feel better. Would you be willing to try it? He said yes. Now, the thing Ooh. is, they give you now with chemo a whole bunch of different medication that offsets all the side effects. So he actually didn't have any side effects from the chemo, which I thought was amazing. It was crazy. Wow. So he never got a chance to try it. But cannabis kind of being you know helpful on the cancer side of things in various ways. You know, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it is definitely helpful on that avenue. Yes, especially when it comes to like appetite even because a lot of people who go through that, they, they really lose their appetite. So that's another way to bring on the appetite. I'm glad medical science has gotten so good that they have things that can counter the effects of the radiation, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then before we started talking, you talked about how you grow a whole variety of things. I mean, you're on berries, apples, pears, peaches, plums, all sorts of vegetables. So it's not just those medicinal varieties. You're growing a lot of different things. Yes, heavy in the uh, permaculture. That's what that's what originally pulled me was people building their own food forest and just giving back to nature. So that that called me as soon as I seen that. I'm like, yeah, I got I got to do this. Yeah, that's awesome. So, are you an indoor grower, outdoors? Do you do both? Both. Both. Okay. What's your overall kind of grow style? Um, well, for outdoor, of course, 100% organic. I like to go right into the ground. It just makes life a lot easier. Um, on the indoor, cocoa. And then tell me a little bit more about your indoor growth setup. You know, what size growth space are you working in? What do you have for lighting? How's your ventilation run? So on and so forth. Okay, so uh, on the indoor, there's one room that is a, I say probably like an 8 by eight by like 18 roughly but i use about a four by 16 for canopy space um one gallon pots of cocoa on flood trays but instead of flooding and draining there's a watering system that sits inside of the tray loop around just to get it pressurized and each tray has its own watering system one minute a day open flow water as soon as the lights come on um trellis of course uh, double trellis if necessary. Uh, switched over to LEDs a while back because LEDs are just way more efficient. Didn't have to worry about any heat when it came to those summer runs anymore. It just made life a lot easier once I switched over to LEDs. So I, I tried to keep it as simple as possible. 12 plants per tray, one gallon pots of cocoa, open flow, watering system, one minute a day. Two minutes in the middle of flowers sometimes, if necessary, because sometimes around week four, week five, they'll tend to drink a little bit more. So that's when I'll up the watering, if necessary. But on open flow, people got to remember that it's, it's a lot more water coming out than those pressure-regulated ones that's given 0.3 whatever per hour. So since mine is open flow, one minute is more than enough. It sounds like you're working with a large amount of plants. This probably much easier for you to have that hooked up to automated systems like that. Yes, huh? yes. Especially once you put the trellis nets on because you can't really reach in with a wand or anything in water. It just makes everything a hundred times more difficult. So much easier to get them on that watering system early. So when the nets is set, you, you're pretty much free. Got it. Yeah, that's a question I'm going to ask you later on. We'll get deeper into it once we get into Scrog. i got to ask, do you typically grow from seed or are you starting from clone most of the time? Uh, most of the time, the room will be filled predominantly with clones. But... I saved one tray and one of the rooms specifically just for pheno hunting. I've always pheno hunted. I pop new seeds as soon as I'm done with a pheno hunt. I'm always looking for something new. And I want something of my own. Like, it's good to acquire the cuts that are available to get those keeper cuts that other people sourced out. But sometimes I just want my own pheno. And I might not like the pheno that they chose to keep and run with. So I, I'd rather hunt through it myself and see what I can find. So sometimes I'm starting from seed, but it's never going to be a full run from seed. Predominantly, the room will be uh, of the keeper stock of clones that I've had. Okay. Yeah, that was actually a viewer question. Wanted to know about uh, seed versus clone. That's one thing I don't really ask the viewers much. And it's like, oh, that's a great question. Might as well start asking them because, you know, it does make a difference in, in some ways. It does. Some people say that seeds are more vigorous than the, uh, than the clones are, but it... 
it really comes down to technique. What are you what are you doing it for? Are you just hunting for personal use? Is it just something that you want to do? Or are you involved in the industry? Do you have the actual space to be able to do bigger hunts? So since I don't want to dedicate a lot of space to hunting, I just got one four by four tray in the room that's right by the door so you can monitor it for any harms or anything as soon as you walk in. And that's normally the tray that I'll dedicate to pheno hunts. Oh, okay. That's smart. It's a good way of going about doing it. Okay, so now that we have some of the basics out of the way, let's kind of dive a little bit into plant training, and then we'll get into like the scrub technique. So mm-hmm. what type of plant training do you typically do? Are you doing topping, any low-stress training, super cropping, fimming? What do you typically do? Um, well, from the beginning, water and solo cups, as soon as they start getting a bit tall, I do what, what I label as the grandmaster level topping technique, where you just take the very top two leaves that come out and pull those off and allow that light to penetrate down and they'll start to branch out by themselves without that stunt period of actually popping the top off so they'll they'll never stop growing they'll just focus more on branching from that point out so from the moment they're in solo cups and i see them start to go for that stretch i start to periodically pull those top two leaves off of everything until you get that wine glass shape that you're looking for some people train for that some people top for that but i don't like to keep to stunt the plants and keep them short they'll grow they'll grow wide enough just by simply pulling those top two leaves off now when it comes to plant training uh they normally don't really get any training until they get moved into the flower room from from veg they're compacted together because my veg space is smaller than my flower space so i have to compact them together in veg and they kind of grow straight up minus me pulling those top leaves but as soon as they get into the flower room they get one week of veg before they get flipped and during that week is when the net goes on and i start to fold them out right then and there so i'll pull everything from the bottoms that i feel don't need to be there get them laid under that net immediately and give them a week to really fill that net out before flip and then by that time, you could just let them go, set that second layer of net, and they'll just grow right into it. You won't have to really train into that second layer. Let's talk about the scrog technique in a little bit more detail. So uh, net, let's start with this net. How big of a net do you use? I know you said you were in a four foot, your canopy was four feet by 16 feet. So you just run a net all the way down or what? All the way down. So they have these nets that you can buy that come on like a like a spool almost like a big like yarn thread thing they come on a huge one and you could just pull them out so yeah we uh in that room 16 feet and some of the other rooms there's 25 feet of trellis netting and we just hook them up and get those things set right away i was looking to get uh those metal poles that you can uh screw into the ground that can hold them because one thing you'll notice is if you're using pvc or something as a setup for your trellis netting they they have a tendency to bow in and I, I don't like having to deal with that. So you got to find a strong enough structure to be able to attach the trellis to. So you don't have to worry about that happening. So you could get the full use out of the trellis. What are you attaching the trellis to now? And how are you attaching it? Uh, we I use screws. And I, okay. I screwed two by fours into each corner of where each tray would be. Four feet wide on, on both ends. And on one end, I actually had to brace it and actually make like a... How can I describe it? It's like a two by four that kind of locks on and each round I could just unscrew it and pull it right off. But that's what I have to use on the other end because it doesn't have really anything to brace to. So just uh, regular screws, hook them into the two by fours and pull the net straight across. I try to do this before the plants get too tall, though, because it gets more hectic the bigger you let the plants get, because then you really got to start weaving them through. So you almost want to get it to where they're just kissing the bottom of the net. And then after that week, they'll just start to grow into it. And all you got to do is just move them out as they get through those nets. Okay. The screwing into the board is interesting. When I did the scrog, uh, when I, I've done it a handful of times, probably uh, maybe a dozen times at the most. And I usually do it in grow tents. So mm-hmm. what I usually use is zip ties. And I'll zip, zip tie ties. it to the side of the grow tent poles. So that's yep. kind of another way to go about it if, if any listeners are See. wondering how to do it within a grow tent. And in that system, you got something more stable because that tent is braced on each corner. So you don't have to worry about the tent bowing in on you because it's, it's built the way that it's built. So that's what I'm saying when people got to lay the net. Make sure that you got something sturdy enough that when you pull that net tight, it stays tight. It doesn't wind up bowing in the structure that you got for it. Really good point. 
So for the actual net, told you we're going to get deep on this one. Let's go. Um, <laughs> is there a, a particular brand? I don't know if you mentioned the brand. In, in your, well, from what you were explaining in the type of net, is it the polypropylene type nets? That you've got polyester, you've got nylon, polypropylene, you've got chicken wire. So there are def- different options. Uh, is yours like yes. the polypropylene, the plastic type? Uh, no, I'm using the nylons. Nylon, okay. So it is nylon. stretchy. You you like the stretchiness? Yes. In sense? Yes. Compared Got to it. the plastic ones and the plastic, I don't I don't know what made me stick with the nylon ones, but normally it, it's the nylon ones because they come on the big spool. They're just easy to hook on, roll it down, hook it to the other side, cut it, and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. I would think the stretchiness would be beneficial. I mean, it's been beneficial for me. Yes. I know a lot of people use the chicken wire, and that's more a fixed, and you're really not going to be able to bend it at all. Have you used chicken wire at all? Or? No. I was also worried about if that wire ever got wet or anything, what what would happen with it leaning on the stems. Like I try to keep wire and metal kind of away from the plants because I I'm not saying it will cause any issues, but the 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 less risk the better. So I, I try to stay away from those kind of things. And no, okay. most people that are using those, they they reuse them, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll reuse them. I got a fear of reusing stuff like that because if it's ever a problem, powdery mildew, bugs, anything, uh, you're you just inviting it right back into each round every time that you do that. So with the nylon ones, it's easy to just pull them off after each round, toss them, pull the next one on the next one. Good point. Now, on the trellis net, I know there, there are so many different ones out there, but the trellis net holes, right, the holes are different sizes you know i think there's three inches by three inches four inches by four inches what size do you typically use the three and a half inch uh three and a half inch i tried the fives i tried everything else i feel like the fives are more for support so if i was going to use like the five inch squares i would do that on a second layer of net where i'm not exactly trying to weave anything into place or or use it to fill out the canopy but when it's time to, to fill out the canopy i want those three and a half inch squares so that way i can make sure that i got a head in every square and that the canopy is full but when you're using the five inch ones it's going to be multiple tops in each one and hopefully you can even get it filled if you need to pull a branch over it does really snag the right way that you want it to because the squares are so big so on the first layer of net it's always three and a half inch but if i if i can't find anymore i don't mind using the five inch squares on the second layer where it's just more for support than it is for actually weaving them through to fill out the canopy you bring up a great point with the support side of things that's one thing i was going to mention at some point is you know, some people use the trellis net and scrock technique because they want to maximize yield. Other people, they just want it for plant support. Mm-hmm. Which way do you do you do both for support and yield, or, or what do you kind of aim for using the, the net? second layer is for support. The first one is for yield. I want that canopy filled out. I don't want to be growing the floor. I don't want any light hitting that floor if I could prevent it, because anything underneath that first layer of net is getting lollipopped off anyway. So I don't, I don't want any light penetrating through there. I just want a full canopy from that first layer of net up through that second one. So it's for, it's for yield for me. Now, granted, the second layer is more for support, because you don't want them flopping over after they get big. But uh, that, that first layer is strictly yield-driven. Yield Makes sense. And then you bring up a great point. I just want to echo what you said before is the, the larger the square, it seems like it's the harder it is to kind of manipulate the plant and keep plants tucked under because the squares are so big. And yes, you've got multiple shoots coming out one square. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I had got- this. I had this nylon one where it stretched and as it stretched it to the grow tent, the holes would get bigger. You know what I mean? So it just made yeah. it more difficult. And so yes. I feel so like start- the whole. The size of the squares, I feel like, is pretty important. Yes, they start off as fives, but once they start to stretch, they, they wind up even bigger. And if you're growing shorter squatter plants, like the strain dependent, um, those fives will really hurt you. Because the shorter and squatter they are, the more you're going to want to train them out to really get that penetration into the inside. And you cannot do that with the fives. Gotcha. Now, how many plants are you putting per, I was going to say square foot, but really, I mean, you're... So maybe like a four foot by four foot area. How many plants do you typically have in that, like under the net? 12 to 16 per four by four. Really strain dependent. If I'm doing something like ice cream cake, I would use 12 because they stretch about 200% once they hit flower. So I don't want to 
load that in too heavy because then the canopy would be too packed. Now, if I'm running something that's a little less vigorous, I'll do 16 to make up for the fact that during that stretch, it's not going to give me the same thing. And it'll work better to fill the canopy out if I do 16 of that strain versus 12 of another strain. So 12 to 16, give or take. And I know you said you're in one-gallon containers, small yes. containers. You're on an auto-watering system, so that's very helpful there to keep everything saturated or else if you're not on an auto-watering system, it's probably, you know, it can dry out super quick. You know? Yes. And then you do a lot more labor there. And with the more, the higher plant count versus if you were to just do four plants, for example, right, you're looking at a shorter veg time too. So that's a – Yes. That's, you're filling up that space a lot quicker than you would with less plants. Yes. So I thought that was worth pointing out there. That was the goal. And when you're using cocoa, I think anything over, I want to say two, but I'll even give it three. Anything over a three-gallon pot starts to become wasteful in cocoa. Gotcha. And so, okay, so you've got your 12 plants roughly in that space. Well, actually, you have four, four feet by 16 feet. Now, at what, what point do you, you touched on this earlier, I believe, what point do you put up that first layer of trellis net, and then what is the distance between the grow pot and the net? It kind of depends on how big the plants are when they go into the room. But usually I'll set that first net. Literally, I'll make the top leaves of the canopy kiss the bottom of that net as soon as I bring them in. So I'll bring the plants in. And even if I need to, I'll cut them back just to make everything even. So if there's a couple branches that are just reaching out on top of everything else, I'll just cut those clean off just to even out the canopy and I'll set the net right to the very, very top of it. So it's usually about maybe 18 inches from, from pot to where the first layer of trellis netting is. I typically do 18 inches too. That's, that's yeah. about right. You know, might be 20 inches at a time, depending on plant growth. Like you yes. mentioned, that's going to be a determinant of it as well. Yes. So when do you start actually weaving the plants too. Now, now you mentioned that you don't do any topping. Okay, traditional thing. I mean, I read some articles before we even started talking here, just kind of refresh my memories and come up with some questions. Traditional way is to top in between the third and fifth node, so either the third node, fourth node, the fifth node, and allowing those lower branches to kind of come up into the net and spread out. Now you don't do that. You do that other technique that you mentioned, and that allows to grow the plants so at what point are you kind of weaving? You said you added it in, you've got the net going right away. So pretty much right away is when you're starting to weave as the plants are just growing or, or what? Within that first week of them being in the flower room, even though that first week is still veg. They're in the flower room, but they're going to veg for a week in that flower room. And that week is more than enough because I set the net just above them. So within that first week of growth, because there's way more light now, there's uh, CO2 now, there's so many other things now that they're going to skyrocket the second you get them into that, that bigger room. So within that first week, I'll have that net fully filled out because I didn't set it so high above where the plants were that I have to wait for too much growth. Any growth that comes in past the point when they first get in there has to get weaved through or it's going to wind up just being too tall and overshadowing things in the corners. I try to keep the canopy as even as possible. Like when I'm when I'm done with a round, I want to just be able to scoop down and look at eye level and be able to just see flat straight across if if I can. Yeah, I know that is the goal for the even canopy for scrog technique. You know, using the trellis net does help. A lot of people call it the scrog net, by the way. So same thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it definitely helps keep that even canopy. Now, some folks, what they'll do is, you know, they let their plants grow up, and then they'll do a uh, lollipopping, right? They remove the lower growth. Do mm -hmm. you do that before your plants come into the net, or do you wait until a certain point that the plants grow and then you'll do the lollipopping? Uh, what I do is I wait for that week of veg to be over. So once I bring them into that flower room, give them that week of veg, see exactly which branches will make it through and which ones won't, because some branches I still won't pull off even after that week of veg, because I know during the first three weeks of stretch, those will still make it. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it, it might hurt you in the long run to pull some of those off too early because they could have winded up making it through and those would have been great secondaries right there. And I, I don't want to cut those off. I want to see what's going to make it and what's not. Now, granted, there are going to be some things that clean are just not going to make it. I'll take those off before they even make it into the flower room. But there's some that I'll leave and I'll just monitor for a while until about week two of flower. And then if I know by then that you're not going to make it, I'll lollipop everything that I know isn't going to make it. 
when running these kind of setups, you got to constantly have a decent amount of clones uh, ready to go every single time. So instead of pulling those bottom ones off just to lollipop and throw them out, it'll be good to that's where you can get a boatload of clones from right from those bottoms that you normally would have threw away those those are still valuable i know they like to say cut from the top but i haven't really seen any difference from taking clones from the top or the bottom that's an efficient way to go about that instead of just pruning those and either throwing away or throwing them in your compost pile actually using them as clones mm-hmm. now one more thing with the lollipopping um, generally speaking some folks what they do is they'll do you know, you mentioned about 18 inches to the net from the pot. Uh, some people take, they'll use that as their guide, and they lollipop everything below that. Is that what you do, or do you yes. do more or less? Uh, well, since I, uh, eventually, once I got into it, I started to learn more about leaf stripping. So it really depends on how tall the plant gets will determine how much I pull off at the bottom because I know once I leaf strip, a lot of that light is going to be able to penetrate now and things that wouldn't have been valuable before now have the opportunity of being valuable. So it once I leaf strip, I can kind of get a good idea. And that's normally around like week two is when I start to leaf stripping, week two flower. So once I see what's going to make it and what's not, and what will be valuable and what won't get any light no matter what, that's when I'll know what to exactly pull off. I don't like to pull anything off before then because I know after the leaf strip, I'm going to expose a whole bunch of branches on those bottoms to light that they wouldn't have had prior to that leaf strip. So I have to kind of wait to see how it plays out from there. And again, it's strain dependent because some strains, all the branches stretch when they hit flower. And some strains is mainly just the top ones that'll stretch when they hit flower. So it kind of comes down to which strain I'm running will go based on what technique that I'm going to have to do. And in some instances, yes, everything from underneath that first layer of net is gone because it's stretched so far above it that nothing down there is going to get no light, no matter how much leaf stripping that I wind up doing. So in some cases, yes, that is my God. That first layer of net, anything underneath it, under most circumstances, is gone. You bring up some really good points there. So you mentioned when you start weaving the plants underneath the trellis. When do you stop doing the weaving and kind of let them grow vertical from there when i can't when i can't contain it anymore when i come into the room and there's so much growth after they've been flipped into flower that no matter what i will have to almost break a branch in order to move it anywhere else that's when i just have to let it go i can't i can't really do much past that point and most of the times all the squares are filled in by then there's really nowhere to put them past that point once they flip into flower so Worst come to worst, if they start getting too tall, I can pull a branch over through that second layer of net. So I don't have to let it shoot straight up. I could kind of pull it off to the side or, or something like that. But I normally stop as soon as I hit flower because you just can't contain it anymore. There's so much growth going on each day that I will have to pull the branch back down and then over. And now I'm risking breaking branches and having to move around and break other branches from other plants. I just, I, I don't like to... I don't like to mess with them like that. I've learned my lesson from doing that. Broke a lot of branches. So basically, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're filling up the that first net, then flipping the flower. Yes. Okay. And then you're kind of letting them grow upwards. And if you can continue to tuck down, you will. But for the most part, you're kind of letting them grow upwards. And at some point, you're adding in a second layer of trellis more for support, right? Yes. What point do you typically find that you're adding in that second layer? Is it within the first three weeks of that stretch period, first three weeks of flower, or when? I already have the level set because once you do round after round after round, you know where you're going to flip. You know where they're pretty much going to end. So I already have two layers of hooks for that second layer of net, depending on how tall the plant gets. I have one layer if they're going to stay a little bit more squat, but I got a second layer just in case for those really tall ones. Cause so sometimes there's a huge gap in between the first and second layer of net and sometimes not so big, but I have those hooks already set in, in the room. So as soon as I'm re- I usually, since I know what strain I'm already going to be running, when I lay the first net, I'll lay the second one right away. I, I won't even have to wait for it. And then what's the distance between the first net and the second net? Probably about another 18 inches, 18 okay. to 20 inches, roughly, depending on okay. the strain. Because if I'm running something like Poly Shore or Ice Cream Cake, as soon as they hit flower, they're shooting for the moon. Like So <laughs> on strains like that, it's going to be a little bit bigger of a gap in between the, the canopy because they just go so crazy. If I set it lower, I will wind up having to put a third layer of trellis. 
And I don't like three layers. <laughs> I don't like three layers. <laughs> yeah, they can grow super quick. And one of the techniques that I do, and I'm sure if you do it at all, is as I find shoots are kind of outgrowing other shoots, is super cropping technique. I don't know if you do that at all, or, or I guess my question is, how do you manage when some of these plants are outgrowing others or some of the branches are outgrowing others within that same net? Usually I'll just try to pull them out the way, try to get them over to the to the corners to allow that light to get into the middles and over to those other corners. But worse come to worse, I will super crop them. That's, that's when you pinch them and let them fall over, right? Worse, yep. I, I, I have had to do that a, a couple of times actually, because they'll, some some plants just go for the gusto. <laughs> they they don't want to share no space with nobody else around them. So sometimes yes, I will have to go in and pinch them and super crop them. I, sometimes I'm really scared to do it because I've broken a lot of branches like that. But it, there's a technique to it. You got to be gentle. You got to be soft. You can't go in there on your I am man, hear me roar. You got <laughs> you got to kind of give them a nice pinch and let them fall over naturally. So yes, I have had to super crop before. And if necessary, I'll do it as often as I need to on any of the branches that, that need it. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually went so far one time to, um, and this was kind of a mistake. Things that I deem as a mistake, I still got a yield out of it, but I let the plant grow all the way up into the net and then flipped a flower. And I continued to tuck under that first net. It wasn't completely full, so I was able to still kind of tuck. Mm -hmm. I continued to tuck, added that second layer. In order to control the height, I actually topped the plants at that point. I know it's a huge no-no to top the plants and, and, flower, and flower, right? But it oh, totally, okay. yeah. It was in the first three weeks, right? So I think it was like day seven and I topped the plants. And, and unfortunately, it, it continued to stretch for, you know, roughly another 10 to 14 days or something like that. But the top plant, the shoots weren't really, really that big. So, mm -hmm. like, it wasn't, there wasn't buds on those branches and it was just kind of a, a mistake there. So yes, I know going forward, I'm not going to do any topping I, I thought it might have been beneficial i thought topping there might have actually helped some of the lowers on the other end fill up the remaining part of the net and i think it did but overall i don't think it was it was worth it on that avenue so yeah that's the reason that worst come to worst i'll i'll chop all taller branches off a week before they make it into that flower room for that last week of veg before they flip that way i can get the canopy as even as possible at that point and anything else that's coming in will roughly be on the same wavelength as the rest of them because if not man like you said you'll, you'll wind up needing to either top or do massive super cropping later on in flower and i try to lead the plants alone as much as possible once they're in flower i don't really like to bother them i like them to let them focus on the development that they're focused on at that point that's a really good way to go about it for sure that's i think is going to actually help you know make things more efficient you can help maximize yield do you have any tips for maximizing the scrog net? I mean, you already kind of mentioned a couple things here mm -hmm. and there, right? How you run more additional plants. I'm sure that helps fill up the, the, the scrog net. Do you have any other tips for kind of how to maximize that scrog net or, or fill it up either as quickly as possible or how to maybe maneuver them so they're filled up? I'll say don't, don't rely on the fact that during stretch that they're going to fill that net out because sometimes just that main branch will shoot straight up and you'll still have gaps in the canopy. So before you flip, it is good to give them just that one week of veg underneath that net. And if you see that a week is going to be too much, shave it down to four or five days, uh, knock a day or two off of it. If you see like, okay, the canopy is exactly where I want it right now. It's fully filled up. The plants have already turned back up and, and they're, they're looking back at the, at the light. Everything's good. Go ahead and flip, but make sure that the net is pretty much filled out before you even flip don't try to rely on that stretch darn flip to fill the rest of that net out the stems get thicker they get a little bit more woody they get harder to manipulate unless you're using silica and stuff like that but to avoid doing any of that just have them pretty much ready before you even flip them yeah, have them pretty much ready before you even get ready to flip them. Fill that net out as much as possible ahead of time. Even if you're using less plants that are bigger, just make sure that you fill it out as much as possible. That's good advice for sure. Now, are you doing any, some folks, what they'll do is defoliation. So they will let their plants grow up into the scrog or they'll, they'll basically let the veg their plants out, try to fill up all the squares, right? Then they'll let their plants grow a little bit more. Then they'll do a defoliation at some point within the first three weeks of the stretching phase. Do you do anything like that at all? Did you defoliate at all? If so, when? Yes, 
But uh, from what I've noticed, the big defoliations, like the, the massive ones where you go in and just pull all of the leaves off the plant at week three, I, I, I didn't see it as... I didn't see it as necessary from doing it. After doing it a couple of times, I realized that if I just periodically take a couple of handfuls of leaves out of the room each day that I'm in there, by the time that I make it to the end of flower, I'm achieving the same results. The only difference is the plants don't have to take the same amount of shock. They still have those leaves to store energy. They still got those leaves to be able to do anything else that they need to do with them. So in the meantime, I'm really just pulling off the big gigantic leaves on the top that are blocking any light from getting into the canopy but then later on once those leaves aren't growing back anymore i'll start to go through the mids and to the bottom sections of the plant and pull a little bit more here and there then by the time i make it to the end of flower and i have to cut them down there's not a bunch of leaf material to have to go through because some people harvest and then they'll go through and cut all of the the water leaves off afterwards I, I like to already have that done by the time I make it to the end and save yourself the trouble of doing it all in one shot. Because if you defoliate at day 21 and you pull all of the leaves off, by the time you hit day 42, you got to do it again. So I, I figured why, why do it twice when I could just periodically pull leaves here and there. The plants don't experience as much stress. And then by the end of the round, I achieved the same result as people who had to do the two massive ones. I don't sometimes I'm limited on time and I don't have time to be in there four or five hours doing those leaf strips. But I got an hour to be in there pulling off a lot of those big leaves that are blocking the canopy. So I do defoliate. But to an extent, and I even defoliate in veg, and that's how I get the structure that I want out of the plant before I even get it in the flower. So I'll, I'll defoliate in veg too if I see that the, it's getting too thick and I want more branching. I'll defoliate in veg. So you're continuing to pluck off leaves as you see fit, you know, all through. Really got it. There's some people out there that say that if you continue to pluck off leaves frequently like daily, every couple of days, and you're plucking off leaves, and you're stressing out to the, po the plant to the point where it becomes a hermaphrodite. you think that's true, or do you think it's bro science? Uh, bro science. Uh, I've, bro, I've never, never had that happen to you? Never had that happen to me. I think you'd be more at risk by defoliating all at once because it's a huge shock. Imagine just having to take your sweater off compared to getting fully naked. Which one is more of a shock to you? The, the more of a shock is having to get rid of everything than just having to lose one thing here periodically at a time. So I think you're you're risking the hermaphrodite trait more when you do larger things that'll stress them out more. I don't think they notice a leaf or two missing here and there because even in nature, uh, maybe a deer will come through and eat a leaf or maybe a grasshopper will nibble on the leaf. So they're not immune to losing a leaf here and there. The leaves die, they suck the nitrogen out of them, they fall off. That That's more of a natural process than one day a plant just wakes up and all of its leaves are gone like i think that would be way more stressful than doing it periodically that's a good way to think about it for sure now you mentioned earlier you mentioned uh gml grandmaster level i got and one of his techniques that he does now i'm sure you're familiar with his defoliation technique where he yes. strips those girls basically basically naked i mean barely anything have you ever gone Six. that far Yes, that's what made that's how I got into defoliating in the first place. I was following every method from Grandmaster Level because I seen the results that he was getting behind it. So I'm like, man, I gotta try this. So for for maybe two or three years, I defoliated that same way. I would come in at day twenty one. Uh, I usually do it a little earlier, maybe like day eighteen, and I would come through and strip everything and then lay the net. And then I just found out it makes my life so much more difficult because I was I was knocking uh, sights off of the plants by trying to get the net over it and all of this other stuff. The plants are way too big after they've gone through that stretch to try to fold them over now. Branches start breaking, pots get knocked over. Now you got a plant in the corner that's kind of leaning because it was too big by the time you put the net on. So I realized that it may be a great method in, in his circumstances. But in my circumstances, it works better to net them early and just do small defoliations throughout flower. Because I want the same results that he got with, uh, with that light penetration, but I don't think I need it all at once. I think over time, I'm going to get the same results as him. I'm just going about it a different way. But I got that technique originally from watching him. I hadn't seen anybody do it prior to him. Now, afterwards, you've seen a whole bunch of people come out with the defoliation technique. And I think the Three of Light book came out where they kind of went into detail on it a bit. But uh, Grandmaster Level was the first person who I seen do it. And I kind of modeled it off of, off of his style.
even my topping technique, I modeled off of his style because I noticed that there's no stunting in the plants when you just pull those top two leaves off versus knocking that head off because they have to stop and focus on making those top two branches that you're trying to force it to make compared to just letting those side shoots become tops afterwards. Different strokes for different folks. Yes. There are so many different ways to go about it. Because some people need their plants to stay a little shorter. So it'd be better off for them to actually top because they're not going to stop growing with the method that I'm talking about. You'll pull those top two leaves off and the plant's not going to stop growing. It will shoot out some more side branches, but it will not stop growing. So if you need it to slow down a little bit and focus more on getting wide, then yes, you're going to need to top. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to go about it. And I think there's one thing to remind the audience is there is a lot of different ways to go, but there's so many different techniques. And for those of you that are tuning in on a platform where you can leave a comment, I would love to know how you do the scrub technique. Let us know down in the comment section below because there is just multiple ways to go about it. Yes. If you're listening in, you can actually read in the comments and find out different ways to do it for all the people that are commenting. And uh, sharing best practices. I mean, that's really one yes. of the reasons why I started this podcast is to to really pick people's brains on their style of growing and how they go about do doing things, you know, and why they do their things. And hopefully it generates some ideas for other people, you know. It's greatly appreciated because for those people coming in for the first time, everybody got different setups. Everybody got different methods. Everybody got different end results. Everybody got different spaces and, and requirements and limits. So it's good that you're interviewing so many different people that are doing it so many different ways. There, There is going to be a way for them to find a way to get it done, no matter what, because of, of the platform that you've given. So we appreciate the hell out of it. Absolutely. And people should just have fun with it, right? I mean, there's yes. uh, don't beat yourself up if uh, the scrub technique doesn't go go your way the first time. You know, you can just try again. You know. Yes. I do have a couple more questions for you. So we touched upon a little bit earlier. So when you've got that net up, it's very difficult to feed or water underneath that net. Training, pruning that you need to do underneath that net. Do you have any tips for kind of getting under that net to to work do your work? Yes. Uh, for one get in shape <laughs> yeah because it's going to take a lot of crawling and reaching through crevices and everything so you have to be in shape to do something like that or pick your tables up off of the floor so if you have the ceiling height so you don't have to do as much bending over to get to everything because my setup used to be on the floor and man it used to be hectic trying to get under there to do any kind of lollipopping or anything so once i lifted them up and got them on trays it made life a little bit easier but um the the watering system is almost a must if you're going to put a net on it. If you're not in like a 4x4 four four tent where you can kind of reach to the back with a wand or you don't have big enough pots where you could reach in there with a wand, in that case, yeah, you might be able to get away with putting a net on and still having access to those plants. But when you're talking about a larger number of plants over a longer amount of space, uh, it, you're going to need a watering system at that point to be able to at least have the water in out the way so you can focus more on the difficult stuff like getting through that canopy and lollipop and that's why i try to do a lot of it before flower even starts so then by the time i'm in that second week and i know what's going to make it and what's not i could just go in with scissors and cut every branch off that's not going to make it through that net so i don't exactly have to go in and pull any little leaves growing in or and i already took care of all of that only thing left to do is see what branches are actually going to make it through and what branches won't and if they won't those branches get cut right off Good tips. Yeah, I know quite a few people who use the wand that you mentioned. They kind of, they're able to get in deeper there with the wand. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they connect the actual watering, if they're doing hand watering, if they're connecting it in that way or not. But yeah, I can see how that would make things easier. Yes. If you got a smaller space and you could reach to the back with that wand and maybe you're using three or five gallon pots or something, you, you got full access to the to the plant still compared to 16 one gallon pots like you you're knocking stuff over they're getting hooked on the the uh hoses getting hooked on the watering system that's down there all sorts of problems start happening snagged on branches like best to just go ahead and hook that watering system up so i guess you can say if you don't have a watering system it may be easier to run less plants in that space, yes right yes because you're going under them at four plants in a four by four for example you're only having to water crawl under there and water four plants versus yes. 12 plants or, or 16 plants however many you do with the one gallon if i had to hand water i would probably do nine three gallon pots three three okay. per three per row and a four by four uh scrog them out 
get them get them set up nicely and that way I can still reach through and a three gallon is a big enough circumference that I don't have to worry about knocking over too much stuff compared to just a one gallon like those <laughs> man it's best to have the watering system if you're going to do those but if I was in a bigger setup yeah I could still get away with a wand easily and running those slightly larger pots running nine instead of four another you know again you kind of you should be filling up your growth space quicker you know, so yes, if one of your goals is to fill up that growth space quick and flip the flower quick, you know, running that nine plants would be more beneficial than running four plants because you're yes. spending longer letting those plants grow and, and train and so on and so forth. So fill up in pots with the roots. Harvesting. So this is one of those things where you can be kind of tricky, right? If you've, your plants are stuck within these nets, do you have any tips on kind of harvesting, getting them out of the nets? Are you chipping into, are you uh, clipping away individual branches or are you cutting through the net? Are you just trying to rip things out from underneath or how do you go about it? I got to, I got to cut through it, man. Like the, the second one's pretty easy because they're not exactly weave through it. It's more just for support. So I can actually go in and just lift the whole top net off, roll it up. And then everything just starts to topple past that point. So you, gotta, so that's when you got to go in with the little mini scissors. Uh, here's a good technique for you guys. Go to uh, like the women's makeup section. And they have these little silver scissors that I think women use for, I'm not sure if it's for their eyebrows or whatever, but they got these like little silver scissors. Those ones cut through the net so easily compared to Fiskars. Fiskars are designed for trimming plants. They're not designed for cutting through nylon. But those little silver ones that you get out of the beauty section at like Walmart or something, I'm talking about just one little snip. They pop right through that net like it's nothing. So I'll cut each plant out in a circle and then try to just uh, keep pulling at the net and cutting and it'll just keep coming out like a string until i got the whole net out chop the whole plant whole hang it on a hanger move it out the way on to the next one but yes i have to i have to cut the trellis netting out and sometimes you get lazy and don't want to cut it all out so you'll just cut the circle cut the plant hang it and it'll still have the net on it all the way through until trim time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i've done that before for sure <laughs> i've also tried to you know rip rip the plants out uh, out from under the net and uh, that just, I mean, you, buds get torn off, trichomes get crushed, all that stuff. So. You look in the tray afterwards and you're just like, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you ever measured yield when doing the scrog technique? Measure it and what measurements? Yeah, like dry yield, you know what I mean? So, like, have you oh. ever filled up, like, a four foot by four foot space or whatever and kind of measured the yield you got out of that, you know, Every whether round. it be a yield per square foot or what? What do you typically I get? I normally do yield per light and or by tray because each light covers a tray. So I normally do it by tray. I'm not good at the square footage and all of that. That's <laughs> it gets a little bit too technical for me. But um normally per four by four, strain dependent, anywhere between two and two point six. Two and two point six pounds? Yep. Nice, nice. And what are you using for I know you mentioned L E D. Um, oh, there are the scissors right there. So if you're on yes. YouTube, you can see the scissors. Those are the ones that These are the ones about. that you need to cut through the trellis netting like it's nothing. Okay. All right. And then you, you touched upon that you're using LEDs, but what, what brand, what model LEDs are you using to get that yield? Well, um, I have one Raymatics HAMR4. It's uh, similar to a bar style. comes in and strips. That's a 1,000-watt LED. So that one I've hit the, of course, the biggest numbers on is underneath that one, but mainly HLG everything. Okay. And then are you supplementing CO2 in that growth space too, or, or no? Uh, you know what? Last round, I hit my biggest harvest to date room-wise with no CO2. Wow. But I normally, yes, I would use a CO2 burner because the burner comes in handy because come wintertime, I need heat. So one of the great ways to add heat, since the LEDs don't throw any heat out, is the CO2 burner. So you heard it here first, folks. CO2 does nothing for your plants. I'm just kidding. I'm I, just joking. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's still up in the air because they do yeah. so well outdoor at at a natural 350 to 400 ppm's of unlimited CO2, and then indoor yep. we're pumping them with 1500 and they're still getting bigger outdoor so i'm i'm wondering how much of a difference does the co2 actually make now this run i'm going to run co2 again and i'm going to see how much changes and how much benefit the co2 has versus last round not using it with the exact same setup so i almost get to do a side by side with co2 and without co2 and if the increase is so minimal 
then it just won't be worth it. You're almost better off doing an intake-outtake at that point. Got it. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear your findings on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there have been quite a few studies in the past. I mean, we've been growing for so long and, and stuff like that. I think the general consensus is that pumping CO2 in there and getting your, your level stable, you see a significant difference in yield. Now, let's, you know, let's put it to the test, right? Go ahead and, yes. and, and try it out and see what happens. You know, yeah, see and, you can, and I say see if it makes a difference for you. And something else, I never went with the standard everybody else went with, the 1,500 or 1,250 ppms of CO2. I literally just want to double what the ambient is because I feel like there's going to be a cap out at, at some point because this plant isn't designed to take in this level of CO2. It has never been designed to take in this level of CO2. So double ambient to me is more than enough so if ambient is around 350 to 400 then 800 750 should be more than enough for them i think once you start hitting over a thousand you're not going to see much difference between 800 and 1500 save yourself some co2 and then you also got to factor in the law of minimum right which is basically you can you can pump up 1500 co2 but if you don't have your temperature humidity nutrition dial then it's going to operate that at that lower level that minimum level right so it all needs to be in sync so yeah so wrapping things up how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future uh yes they could either find me on beast coast grower 420 on youtube beast coast grower 420 on ig or the green table podcast on youtube um and for the future um we got some new setups coming some new rooms coming um a lot more soil talk for people because I'm learning that a lot more people are going towards the organic methods, but they're usually buying and bringing in pots and everything because they don't know how to repair the native soil that they have to be able to use the ground that's already given to them. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on trying to get people to repair the natural soils that they have to be able to use those versus having to spend the money to buy these super soils and make them and throwing them away each season or composting them or whatever no i'm going to show you how to make the ground that you have good enough for you to pop anything into it and it'll start growing right away um i also want to do more production talk for people for the people that are looking in to get to more of the production side of things i want to be able to show people a more efficient way of of scaling up from from where you are because most people are focused on scaling up so as you start to scale up i'm i like to go over the problems that you could have and the easiest ways around them so that's mainly the goal moving into the future helping people Sounds like you got a lot of good, valuable information coming up in the future. So I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to tuning in on that one. Um, you do have a YouTube channel, which I will link down in the description section below uh, for sure. So head on over there, give him a sub. And then also the Green Table podcast. So that's something I tune in from time to time. Sometimes, uh, I think you do it on, what, Sunday nights, right? Sunday's 9 p.m. Eastern. Sunday's 9 p.m. Uh, I tune in sometimes and, you know... <laughs> Sometimes I'm like just really stressed, and I think I messaged you about this one. There was one time I was so super stressed, turned it on, and the chill vibe that you guys have. I mean, you're so casual, you're laid back, you understand that there's so many different ways to do it. It just it, it, it took away some of my anxiety, you oh, know. What man. I mean? So Thank if you guys you. like those those chill style podcasts where people aren't you know people are more open minded, understand that there's so many different ways to go about it, and different techniques and sharing best practices all that stuff you know i definitely recommend giving his podcast a a try and i'll link the channel down in the description section below as well thank you well beast coast grow this has been awesome thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today Uh, folks if you enjoyed this click that thumbs up button also uh, if you are an apple podcasts leave a rating and review and then if you haven't subscribed to the youtube channel for some reason hit that subscribe button i try to release videos uh every single saturday or sunday depending on if susan approves of the video or not um, that's when the video comes out the podcast episode on youtube and then shortly after it's on all podcast platforms so whether on apple spotify amazon iheart there's so many different ones out there so taking over the world found on them yep (laughs) well beast coast once again thank you so much and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day Yes, thank you for having me. Peace, everybody. Peace.